This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook is all about building towards a greater tomorrow. So I asked UX researcher Becca Hare where she sees Facebook going into the future. I think a lot of the stuff that we're building is kind of new territory. I think Oculus is a really great example of that. I'm just thinking about virtual reality and how that might play a role in people's lives. Um, But I definitely still see it as a driving force in connecting people and we'll just continue to evolve. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Four Winds Interactive is looking for an art director in Denver, Colorado. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is a friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Whether it's beautiful digital art, handy tools to help you do your work, or a site for your project or cause, you'll find things on Glitch that remind us the web can still be a fun, creative place full of unexpected surprises. Matter of fact, we just celebrated the 1 millionth project created on Glitch not too long ago. So people are definitely on there using it, making the app for their dreams, really having a great time. You really should check it out. Get started at Glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Millions of people and businesses around the world trust MailChimp to publish the right content to the right person at the right place at the right time. Build your brand, sell more stuff, find your people, and tell the world your story. Sign up for a free account today and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. Now for this week's interview, it's our 250th episode, 250 episodes, and we're talking with Grammy Award-winning creative director, graphic designer, and entrepreneur, Julian Alexander. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Julian Alexander. I'm a creative director and the founder of a design studio named Slang Inc., and we, what we offer our creative direction branding and design services for lifestyle and entertainment clients. Talk to me about how Slang Inc. started. Slang Inc. started because, you know, I think 
throughout the entirety of my, from the beginning of the time that I pursued art and design as a professional thing, I've had kind of aspirations to work for myself. I worked in the music industry and worked at some labels. That's where I learned kind of how the business side of things work and put myself in environments to learn from other people. But it was always in the back of my head. And we had an opportunity. I worked with 50 Cent as, as his art director when he was signed to Columbia. After he was dropped from the label, he and I stayed in contact. And he asked me to design his Get Rich or Die Trying album package. And I did it as a freelance project. So I couldn't, because I was working at the label, I couldn't really use my name in it. And that's the first package that had a slang in credit. So it was kind of something I was doing, Moonlighting. Same year that that album came out, I also, that album was released in 2003. At that time, I was also working on a Miles Davis box set at work. Both of those albums were Grammy nominated. Both of those projects were Grammy nominated. 50 for like album of the year or whatever category it was. And Miles Davis was nominated for the art direction of that box set. And I won the Grammy and 50's album sold in a a ridiculous amount of units. And I was at a crossroad. I was like, either I'm going to take that leap of faith and start my business or I'm going to stick with this job. And although I liked the environment that I was in and the people I worked with, and that scenario was a good one, but it was my opportunity. That was my shot. So I left the job and, and Slang Inc. became my focus full time. I mean, damn, if, if you want a Grammy just off of a freelance project, no, I no, no, no. My job too. <laughs> the, the, the Grammy was my what I was working on at work. At work. work. Oh, okay, yeah, so okay, okay. During the you. day, I was working on the Miles Davis night box set. At night, I was going home and working on Get Rich or Die Trying until I three in the morning. So oh, I was wow. simultaneously working on these projects, and they both produced great results. But one of them gave me the opportunity to step out and, and pursue my bigger dream of entrepreneurship. Nice. I mean, that's a hell of a way to start. I mean, off two big projects like that. Yeah. What's your kind of current day like? Like, what's a typical day for you with Slang Inc.? You know, the beauty of it is that there are not a lot of days that are the same. My situation is one where I'm very hands-on in the work that's produced. I'm also very hands-on in pursuing the opportunities that are out there. So one day is meetings. One day is just working on passion projects. One day is working on assignments. It varies. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to kind of work on things that allow me to have creative expression, but I'm also working on things that allow me to have income. You know, so I I wear many hats. We're not, there's not a whole bunch of people to manage the roles. So I keep it pretty streamlined. So I'm involved in all aspects of it. So my days vary a great deal. Okay. Is it a a pretty small staff then that you keep? Yeah, absolutely. For the most part, you know, I keep it. Things are pretty small. I use a lot of freelance labor when that need comes around. I have a, like a solid team of people who I can rely on, who I have a good rapport with. And when I have things, I keep them, you know, I engage them. And when, when there isn't a need, I don't carry that overhead. So size up and size down depending on what's going on how do you approach a new project i know that's probably a a vague question because i'm I'm guessing you do a lot of different types of projects but generally if something comes in from a client what's your approach to beginning 
I start with a lot of dialogue, really. I want to get an understanding of what's being said, what the objective is, what the vision is of the people that I'm collaborating with. So first, to figure out whether I want to take a project or be engaged, I ask myself four questions. Or there are four criteria that I need to meet for anything that I want to do. One is I want to be challenged. Two is I want to work with good people. People that I respect, people that are going to, we're going to push each other to deliver our best and something bigger than any of us could have done individually. Third is I want to produce work that I'm proud of. And fourth is whatever we're doing, I feel like it needs to matter for the audience that it's intended for. So if, if the project or whatever the opportunity is kind of possesses those four qualities, then I'm in. And after that, it's just a matter of, so whether it's a, if it's an album project, I'm like, or a music project, I'm like, you know, I talked to the artist, like, what were you thinking? Why did you call it this? Like, I understand what the words of the title is, but I want to know why those words were important. What was, you know, I want to hear the music if it's a music project. If it's a, you know, I work with Nike quite a bit or other brands. I'm like, well, what is the, I want to get an understanding of the product or the objective because I really want to filter the ideas through a point of making sure that I understand them and can get all of the nuances and what makes it special and important so then I can kind of add my art to it and represent those ideas or draw out the most interesting points and then try to come up with with something that that's going to resonate with you know its intended audience as I said so there's just a lot of heavy research that's where all of my projects start like I don't there's very seldom a time where somebody calls me and I'm like, I know exactly what I want to do. I'd like to try and start from the very beginning, from the most basic level of developing my understanding and trying to be true to what that project is and true to myself in terms of how I represent it. So New York is a, a big city. There's tons of designers and design firms and studios there. How do you find clients? Man. <laughs> <laughs> so that is not my strong suit. So my way of getting work throughout the years has been through doing my best work. I feel like good work attracts, it attracts people. Mm -hmm. So, and in working in music, I have had the good fortune of that's a medium where the designer is credited. So there are things that I work on, mm. I've worked on outside of music where I do, you know, people experience the stuff, they may like it, but, but they kind of, those projects remain anonymous. So it's harder to kind of, for those to bring in new opportunities. But with music, my name would be in the album. My, you know, my studio's name would be in the album packages in the liner notes. So people would call me. So I would just kind of sit back and work would come in. Now that it's changed. I'm more, just more proactive in building relationships and making sure that people are aware of what I'm doing and actually trying to build authentic relationships. I'm not really trying to hit people up like, hey, what do you have for me today? It's more so like, sharing this is what i'm doing oh i yeah. saw what you're doing and and kind of making sure that people know where i am what i'm capable of and when when something comes up that's a fit you know i'm hoping that i'm i'm top of mind for them or that when other opportunities come up that they may be aware of that they advocate for me and share my name and pass it along and and you know a lot of the opportunities that i have have just kind of come through really solid and genuine networking and kind of doing a good job on the things that I'm involved in, which leads to people kind of 
passing my name along in a great context. And then now I'm also just starting to work on a lot of personal projects that I'm sharing, which is leading people to just, you know, people who are following me on social media or just, you know, the work comes in their kind of vicinity. They're just aware and that that is leading the opportunities as well. So I wish I could <laughs> tell you something a little more streamlined and deliberate, but my, my process seems to be pretty organic and, you know, it's, it's gotten me this far. So there's room for improvement, but it, it, it works to a degree. Yeah. I mean, I would say if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, but I'm going to tune it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even consider that about music, how the designer is credited because generally when I think of the types of designers that we've generally had on the show, it's mostly been kind of like product or digital. And so you're working with a big team or you're working with a company and whoever the person is behind it tends to be a bit, hidden or obscured unless it's like the head of design for that whole department or something right. like that. I didn't even think about it that way with, uh, yeah, with like liner notes and stuff, everybody gets a credit. That's yeah, yeah. absolutely. Nice. So talk to me about that box set. It's a Miles Davis box set, the complete Jack Johnson sessions project. How did that come about? You say you were working uh, at the time for a company. Yeah. So I was a design director at Sony music at the time and there was a series, I think there are nine box sets that were done for Miles Davis. And they draw on the, the out there for albums that had been released. Bitches Brew was one of them. The album he did with Gil Evans was another one. And like these kind of seminal recordings, Sketches of Spain was another. I'm, I can't tell you all nine off the top of my head in this moment. But big things that came through the department. And I don't know where I fall in the series and what the order was. But I knew the last one that came out had been, it had been nominated for a Grammy and it won a Grammy for design. So it was something that I kind of quietly wanted, but I didn't ask for it. I was just kind of there. And and it was given to me, uh, it was assigned to me to do this box set. And I never really directly asked the question why, but I think it was just a, a a matchup between my sensibilities and also kind of a reward for just kind of being consistent and doing good work. I don't know. I can't tell you why I was chosen, but I got <laughs> called into an office one day and like, look, like I'm going to assign this project to you. And I tried to contain myself because I was, ex I was, <laughs> I was excited and I was terrified because mm -hmm. the last one won a Grammy and I didn't want to be the dude to like work on this great project and like kind of <laughs> break the streak, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But it got assigned to me and my first, the first thing I did, they gave me all of the music and I never listened to it. It was a five <laughs> CD set. So they gave me five CDs of music of what it was going to be. It was, you know, a lot of outtakes and all of this stuff. And I had never heard that album, but that album was released a couple of years before I was born. So I just kind of knew that aesthetic of that period in time. It made me think of things I had seen in my household, like just patterns and wallpaper and just certain things. And then as Jack Johnson, I did, he was the first black heavyweight boxing champion. I love mm -hmm. boxing. So I'm like, oh, this is a great piece of inspiration. And I picked up Miles Davis autobiography, or is it a biography? He worked with Quincy Troop and wrote, you know, there's a book and it's written you get a strong sense of Miles' personality. So I read this book to just kind of understand kind of to have a different level of understanding of him. And I didn't know a whole bunch of his catalog. Like Bitches Brew is one of my favorite albums. Mm -hmm. 
But when I first started listening to Sketches of Spain, like I wasn't really ready for it. I didn't like it so much. I like it now, but I didn't at the time. So I didn't listen to this album for fear that I didn't wouldn't like it. Oh. <laughs> and, and I was just kind of intimidated by the process. So I just, you know, I read the book. I went to the archives, Sony Music's archives, and just looked through thousands of pictures of Miles Davis and chose what spoke to me and was from that particular period in time. And then I just started designing what felt right. I got the liner notes and credits, and I worked on this project over a period of months, which was rare. And the booklet is 120 pages. So each time I would make a spread, I would cut it out and just put it on the the wall in my office. So after a period of time, my wall was just covered in Miles Davis stuff, but I wanted to be able to see the, see it all as a whole. Yeah. And I just sat there and lived with it and worked on it and, and just tried to be inspired by it. And it, you know, I was really moved by it. And, and there are certain details like the box, it's a bound book. It's a metal bound book. And the the binding of the book is this burnished kind of copper color. And the reason that it looks that way, it's a metal and it's burnished uh, copper. The reason it looks that way is because the spines of this box set reflect the color. They look like the horn he played to record the album. So that's what his horn looked like, his trumpet okay. that he used for this album. So the Bitches Brew one has a blue spine. That's because he used the, he played with a blue horn for those sessions. So I just had to do like a ton of research and I did it and I was so, I was super proud of it. And the product manager, <laughs> the project manager, when I showed him the package, like everyone who was involved in it, myself, Howard Fritzen and Seth Rothstein, we all won the Grammy together for that project. And Seth, he actually had worked with Miles. Mm. Um, prior wow. to Miles passing. <laughs> and Seth told me, you know, he had a sense of Miles' personality. He was like, if he was alive to see this, he would call you at two in the morning and tell you it sucked. You know, we just, <laughs> we just kind of both got a laugh about that. But I just, you know, once I finished it, it just felt like, you know, I had birthed, birthed something. I was very proud of the work that we put in and the results. Yeah. And uh, one day I was sitting when the Grammy nominations came out, like I, I don't really pay too much attention to that stuff. So I was sitting in my office. I didn't I don't think I knew it happened that day or if I did, I just was kind of not really attentive to it because I'm like, whatever happens, happens. And I kind of was just doing my own thing. And, and a coworker of mine and a friend's name's Dave Bett, he knocked on my door and I was like, come in. And he was like, he was like, how does it feel to be nominated for a Grammy? I was like, what? You know, so that's how I found <laughs> out. You know, I immediately called my my mother, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And like, we just kind of lived in that moment. And for me, that was, the nomination was great. The win was something that was like, it, you know, I hoped for it, but I didn't necessarily expect it. And I, yeah. I had some, you know, some of my friends were nominated as well, my good friends. Jason Noto and Dave Cunningham, I'm sorry, Doug Cunningham from Morning Breath were nominated. So I just kind of, the, the nomination was, felt so good. And then whatever happened after that was out of my hands. Um, so, you know, and I was fortunate enough to win and very appreciative of that. Well, actually, let's talk about what happened after that, because and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but oftentimes, you know, artists, designers, et cetera, you'll get like a really big award like this and it tends to be kind of a like a, a keystone or capstone or something in your bio when people mention the work that you've done and this that, and the other it always tends to come up 
what was your life like after you got the award? Like work-wise, personal-wise, et cetera. How did your life change after that? It didn't at all. There's kind of two tiers to that. One is much like your experience. I had to go to work. <laughs> I had to go right back to work. It was great. We got congratulations. You know, there was yeah. lots of celebra- celebration and con- congratulations. I didn't get a rate. Like <laughs> my salary didn't change. Yeah. Nor did I expect it to. But it was just like it's a great thing. It's an incredible distinction. But even in my freelance life, because as I was saying, I was starting stuff like my rates didn't go up. It didn't increase the value of my work. I think it, it gave me a layer of credibility. People, it resonates with people. But it's weird because I also don't like to say it. It feels a little, hmm. I don't like the feeling of just being like, hey, I'm Julian. I got a Grammy. Like, how you doing? You know what I mean? mean? Like, I, I mean, you're not going to say it like that. But <laughs> no, I'm I not. But I, like, yeah, you yeah. know, I tend to, <laughs> you know, I tend to kind of fall back. I love when I'm with people that say it for me because I don't like to say it. But then uh-huh. sometimes, you know, not I, I don't like thrive on that. But it's always better because it's just something that I it doesn't naturally come up in conversation. And it's, it's not really that important, but sometimes it's helpful to know because it gives, it can give a little bit of an advantage in a discussion. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to win an opportunity or someone is unsure about something, it, it does give an air credibility. However, when I got the trophy, when the, when the, the actual Grammy arrived, I gave it to my mother for a while. She had it up. And then when I finally got it back, it was kind of tucked in a corner in my house. And the reason was because, you know, I'm not likely to win another one. So I didn't want to feel like that's the high point of my career because when mm. I'm still working, it's important for me to be hungry. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to look at it and just be like, yo, I got that. I'm a chill. So that was kind of the personal ramification. But a friend of mine who one of the people who did win it with me, who I mentioned earlier, Howard Fritzen, he told me when we won, he was like, now the first three words of our obituary is written. <laughs> so Grant, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just like Grammy Award winner, you know. Yeah. So, like, you know, we kind of chuckled about that, but it's something I'm proud of. But it doesn't change my hunger, and it didn't change my circumstances in any meaningful way. It's it's, it's a trophy, it's an acknowledgement, it's something that holds meaning. But it's but that's all it is. I yeah. still get up every day and be hungry and go out and and hunt and gather. Yeah. No, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Uh, basically, for people that are listening, what Julian's referring to is that I won the Stephen Heller Prize for Cultural Commentary from AIGA back in April of this year. And it was funny because I was at the gala and I'm, you know, meeting people, talking to people, and they're like, oh, what's what's next? What's the next thing? And in the back of my mind, yeah, I was thinking like, yeah, like I got to go to work on Monday. But I was also <laughs> thinking I still got to get next week's episode out. Like I didn't have time to do it. Because I was up here. So when I fly back on Saturday morning, I'm going to get back to Atlanta. I'm going to unpack, take a nap, wake up and start producing and get the episode out. So like nothing, nothing has really, you know, sort of changed. But I guess I'm just kind of curious about that because awards tend to be this really weird thing. There's people that I've talked to for the show who don't submit their work for awards, even though it has won awards in the past. There's people who I've talked to, for example, there's uh, actually this one uh, young lady. She's a designer. Well, not really a designer. She calls herself a chronic creator. She's in New York. Her name is Kim Goldburn, and she has a Webby. And she was sort of saying the same thing you were about, like, yeah, like, I I have it, but I don't really, like, tell people about it. I'm like, please. I would enter every room, like, Webby award-winning designer. Uh, (laughs) But I, I see what you mean about it being able to kind of give you an advantage, maybe in, like, 
negotiation situations or, or something like that where it can give you a bit of a leg up. Yeah, I you know I could start walking in, into meetings with it like I'm three six mafia, but they're asking you know, but <laughs> <laughs> not quite my style. <laughs> so talk to me about kind of you know the work that you did at Sony. You mentioned this this box set. What sort of other types of work were you doing there? So now I see it a little bit differently as I did there. My job, you know, I came from the ranks of being a I don't even know what I started at. It might, I may have started as a designer or maybe a junior art director or something like that. But by the time I left, I was a design director. So my role was really art, creative directing and art directing, designing packages, working with artists, coming up with concepts that represent ideas. And, and now in each artist, I didn't use this. I didn't have this vocabulary at the time, but each artist was their own brand. So you learn how to come up with a concept that can extend for the life of a project and has its own particular identity. So if I'm working on a project for Nas, it's very different than, it feels different than what I'm working on for Lauren Hill or <laughs> Wyclef Jean or Wu-Tang Clan, or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I covered some things for Destiny's Child or whatever it may be. So all of these things I learned, that's where I learned the fundamentals of branding and the importance of building campaigns, because I'm starting with these conversations, which lead to a logo, which lead to me figuring out who I want to partner with to shoot a campaign. Who's the right person to style it? Who do we need for hair and makeup? And how do I take this stuff to create a package that's going to be an album package? It's going to be singles. It's going to work for the websites and live through I need to create assets to extend for the life of a campaign. So all of that set the foundation for me learning branding. And as I grew in my role, I learned how to manage people because, you know, you're managing those crews in the art director capacity. But when you become a design director or creative director and function on that level, I'm also responsible for the output of other Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. creatives you know, who are part of the staff and the team. So how many assignments can I give to this person? Am I making sure they're making their deadlines? We're managing budgets for bigger things. So all of that set the foundation for me to, you know, is how I learned how to run my own business and the mechanics of that, which then transferred to when I stopped, you know, when I kind of took on projects outside of music, learning how to transfer those same skills. So when I work with Nike, for instance, or different types of clients on a retail pop-up shop or whatever it may be, I know how to take those, the essence of what I started, whether it's working on a photo shoot or working on taking, creating a brand experience in a space, I know how, I just have a strong understanding of what resonates with people, how we're going to tell a story and do something that, you know, you walk in a space and it kind of, the goal is to create these transformative moments that bring you into a different environment. And by the time you leave that environment or put that thing down or stop listening to it or whatever type of experience it is, you feel a little different than when you started because those things resonate and they matter and make a difference. So that's been kind of the transition. No, that's a a good transition. I mean, because like you said, a lot of these sorts of moments tend to be pretty fleeting. And so if you're able to really capture it, like a pop-up shop or something like that, where you design the whole concept and everything. That's not something that people can just go back and revisit anytime they want to. It's like you had to be there. Right. And there can be pictures that kind of document it. But I think, 
if you do it right, there's no substitute for being there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you yeah, can yeah. see the pictures, but it's not the same as walking in there. And I think it's especially important when you get to pop-ups and other these brand experiences and activations that are happening because, you know, a lot of these things, the product sells out. If you don't, you know, that's the goal is to sell a lot of products for a lot. You know, that is a goal. And for some people, it's the primary goal. And, and I think where you fall short by having it be the primary goal is if your only objective is to move product and you sell out, then the other people who came out walk away with nothing. Yeah. So I feel like you have to have an experience because the experience will last longer than the T-shirt. You know what I mean? And, and, right. and the experience is available to those who couldn't get the T-shirt or whatever yeah. it is that you're selling. So I take it very seriously and I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And, I, you know, recently, actually two days ago, earlier this week, I worked on Common Performed here in Brooklyn. And I have been working with him through a relationship that I have with his, the, the creative director creative direction studio that does his packaging. I was able to work with him on assisting with creative direction for his stage performance and designing an intro. And he gave an incredible show and he goes through, there's narrative and supporting that narrative with things that reinforce what he's talking about and creating that experience. So there were people who I was just like, yo, he's performing at this spot. You should come through and check it out. And they came and I, I hadn't spoken to them about my involvement. So uh -huh. after the show, I asked them what they thought about it. And their answer was like, yo, like we love the show and like how he was telling this story in these moments. And then I told them what my involvement was, <laughs> but it, it made me feel like that's what we strive for is like, you know, because they know those songs. They could play those songs at home. But yeah, yeah. what was offered was something completely different and resonated on a, a much larger level. Where do you see the current relationship now between design and music? I mean, given the the amount of work that you've done with Sony, even the work now that you just mentioned, how do you see those two things having a relationship? I see them as very closely related as we're at a point where, but it's just a very different relationship because the deliverable, the tangible result at a point was the album package. That was like the supreme, that was the top of the food chain. It was like mm -hmm. everything built up to the album, but we live in a different world from when I was there because at that particular point in time, you could only experience an artist through their albums, their singles, magazine interviews, whatever press they got, and then videos. But now, if you're interested in what Rihanna's doing right now, you could go on Twitter, you could go on Instagram, you could find out. So they have like a direct, you have direct access to artists. And also, music is, I joke about this, but I say that I'm old enough where you used to Water was free and you bought music. Yeah. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so now <laughs> you buy water and music's free. Like my, yeah. I have my children, like it's inconceivable that you would purchase music. Like, why would you do that? You know yeah. what I mean? So, so the thing is, you know, that kind of devalued that aspect of it. But artists, now artists see themselves as brands. And because of the, the climate, they, you know, they leverage that power or whatever you want, celebrity, whatever word you, word you want to use to describe it, they leverage their position to create larger opportunities, to get television shows, to get book deals, to launch products, whatever it is. But 
in the interim, in the way that this stuff is measured is not through sales, it's through likes and clicks and all these other things and touring and all these other aspects. So yeah. all of that is to say it goes back to designers in the music space because all of these artists slash brands are looking for people to produce content. Mm-hmm. So there's still a need. It's just a different relationship. Yeah. And my point of interest is more on creating experiences rather than, you know, I don't want to design. I just want to do things that are a little bit larger scale, more impactful and last a little bit longer than how long it takes to scroll through your feed. So I've become very strategic in the type of opportunities that I produce. And I've learned, I've created a life for myself outside of music, but Mm -hmm. I keep getting drawn back because I love music as a point of passion for me. I love the other things I'm involved with as well, because as I said, the things that I do kind of touch on those four things that we spoke about at the top of this, but there is a relationship. It's just a different one. And and I see music designers kind of thriving and getting busier. Yeah. I was telling a friend of mine that it seems like the concert now is like the new box set or album package or whatever, because everything now is streaming. You don't really have to rush out and buy, you know, the limited edition, whatever at, a music store because it's going to just come to you automatically. But when you go to a concert and there's the staging and the lights and the rest of the crowd and whatever merch and stuff is there, that tends to be the new like exclusive way that you experience an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds like your transition into, you know, designing for experiences came at the right time. Yeah, man. And then it's like, you know, when you leave the show, why don't you hit the pop-up shop? I design, I create for that too, you know? So yeah, man, I'm glad that I'm, I've been here long enough that I can kind of, and I've expanded my experiences so that I can still contribute and participate. Yeah. When I started out like doing little stuff on Photoshop, uh, this was maybe in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Me and my friends used to make little album covers and design covers. We would come up with these like weird, I don't know, I guess like design exercise things. Like one of them, for example, is like you go to, like you grab the nearest book that's near you, like just a random book, turn to like the fifth page and design a cover, like based off the first three or four words on the page or something like that. Something to like stretch you, you know, just mentally to think about how you would design for a certain nebulous concept or whatever. For you, since you've actually worked with artists and built, you know, design packages and stuff, what elements kind of really go into making a good album cover? That question should not be as complicated for me (laughs) as it is. It's kind of just what I said. It's like I start at the beginning every time, like the conversations we have or what the music feels like to me will make me say, like, this should be photo based or it should be illustration or or, you know, I'm seeing this type of type treatment for the logo or the title or whatever. So, you know, I think the output ends up being, consi- you know, there's kind of a constant in what the end result is because you know what the size is going to be. You know yeah. what the specs are. But I like to try and approach it new every time. And it's just a matter of, like, how it speaks to me. Is that I don't know if that I feel like I'm not answering the question, but I don't know that I have a better answer. No, that's good. Like, I'm not asking, like, for concrete things like your. Your image has to take up two thirds of this and all that sort of stuff. But it does sound like it's a really uh, something you have to communicate with the artist yeah. about in order to really get a feel for what that would look like. Yeah, it's, it's all vibes, man. Like, yeah. and, you know, and sometimes I don't have the right condition. Sometimes it's just like, look, we're, 
sometimes the question is, what can I get done by the end of the week? <laughs> you know, so it definitely changes. But I, I always pr- produce, pursue, I'm sorry, the best case scenario. And I want to, um, it just depends on what I'm inspired by at the moment. Like these things are just intersections, you know, like if I come out, I walk out the house one day and I see like a, some faded type on a building, I may just be like into that sort of distressing one day, or it might be, I go and I look at a, I'm walking down the street and I see a Lamborghini and I'm like, or an old school BMW, which I love. And I'm like, look at the lines on that. And that might put me in a certain headspace so that when you and I start a conversation about some creative, maybe that's in my head. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to try and force that on you, but it might just be, sometimes it's just a result. It's a matter of where I, where I am that day. And then how it aligns with what it is that I'm with the task at hand. Is there a current artist that you'd love to do some design work for? Yeah, there's a lot. There are people whose work I'm inspired by, but I guess I guess the the short answer is probably I haven't been actively pursuing those particular opportunities. I think what I've been doing so there's there's people I would love to work with. As I said, I just worked with Common. It was an incredible experience just because of his humanity and who he is as an individual in our rapport. But I think when I sit down and I ask myself, what do I really want to do? I kind of get in tune with some of my other passions and I start making work for myself instead of client based work. And, you know, so I think when I have time to doing this as long as I have, I think a lot of my creative energy and output has been dedicated to others. And I think now when I have the opportunity to when I ask myself, what do I want to do? most it's more about personal expression and i think that's where my energy and stuff goes to so i'm i'm open to those opportunities but i mm-hmm. haven't been actively pursuing them and another thing that i've kind of dedicated myself to is speaking i'm doing a lot of speaking to young people to professional peers and and engaging in discussion about design to help champion design and designers like i want people to know like how the role that it plays design is absolutely art but it's kind of overlooked people just accept it it's just there you know so when people look at the album package people aren't picking it up to buy it because i designed it they want that album and it's an old analogy because as i said people aren't buying album packaging but it just it's the art that comes with it so a lot of time there's no thought given to it so i want to try and shine light on the people who create these things and the artists who dedicate their time effort and ability to making artistic statements that sometimes are just they just are looked at as things that exist with no thought of the energy that's going toward it or the extraordinary amount of creativity of the people who produce these things. So I've been working on a series of talks. That's an extension of talks that I, you know, I started doing this design talk series at the Apple store a number of years ago. And now I'm working on producing my own talk series and and finding partnership to help me deliver at the level that I think is appropriate. Nice. What is the design community like for you in New York City? Man, it's it's incredible. Like the people that I, there's no shortage of extremely talented people. And I'm inspired by looking around and seeing people who I've come up in the game with people who have been here before me and then looking back and seeing people who are younger than us and extremely talented. So I'm really happy about what I see and and the things that I see people 
delivering, like the design thought. The hardest part, I think, is there's so many designers. So at a point, it becomes like clutter and white noise. And I look for kind of the exceptions and the standouts. And I try and make sure that I make myself available to younger people and try and be a mentor and an advocate for them. And as it relates to my peers and people who are more established than myself, I try and just kind of engage in discourse because we keep each other going. Like we feed each other with inspiration. Like I do my best and I put it forward and somebody might be like, yo, I saw that. That's pretty dope. And then they do something. I'm like, all right, why should I come with? You know what I mean? Like we just push each other forward. So the community is, you know, community is important and I'm, there's no shortage of it where I am. I, I find myself interacting with designers of all levels all the time. And I find myself being moved by a lot of the work that I see being produced. It sounds like this is something that has really been a, a driving force for you, not just, you know, in your professional life as an adult, but just in general. Like, did you have a, a very creative childhood? Did you grow up around a lot of art and design and stuff like that? No. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, yes, I had a creative childhood. The no was I didn't grow up around a lot of art and design. Okay. Um, I've always, my gift has been some sort of form of visual expression. Okay. Period. Like as a kid, like I had friends, I would be outside, but sometimes when everybody was playing, I was like, I was writing graffiti. Like I, as a kid, I didn't grow up in New York City. So I grew up just drawing graffiti for hours on end in my room because I was like, I'm moving to New York and painting trains when I grow up. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know I mean? And then it, it, you know, it changed, but I just, I would draw all the time. But in my mind, it was a hobby. It, that wasn't what I was going to do with my life. My mother is from Jamaica. Like I'm the first generation that was born here. I'm the oldest grandkid in my, on my mother's side of the family. So, you know, I think there was an expectation that, you know, the hope was I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like their faith was kind of invested in me. So no one was putting pressure on me, but it was nobody was like, we moved here so you could be an artist. You know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But then I was, you know, I say that because none of us knew what the possibilities were. But as I kind of made that path and showed how hungry I was, I had the full support of my family. But I've always had creative outlets. So I was drawing graffiti or when people started airbrushing jeans, like I'm painting Bart Simpson on your jean jacket. You know what I mean? Or like <laughs> Big Daddy Kane came out and he had crazy parts. I knew how to draw. So I started, um, I, st- I learned how to cut hair and I would put designs in people's head for money. I went to a high school that has security guards. So I was cool with the security guards. They would come get me out of class like I had to go to the office for something. They would take me to the locker room. I would cut their hair for free. And then other people would come and I would set up shop in the locker room and just cut hair. So, you know, I always had these kind of creative outlets. None of them seemed like the, you know, they were going to be my future. They were just what I was doing in those moments. But luckily, you know, my first year of college, I was studying I went as a communications major. It was kind of vague. It sounded somewhat interesting, but I didn't know what to do. And I had a teacher who she would give us these assignments and I would just she would be like, draw this still life. And I would draw it halfway off the page and in the bottom corner. And I would just keep doing stuff like that because it was more interesting to me. And she was like, I think you'd be good at graphic design. And I was like, what's that? Hmm. So. She explained it to me and she helped me get a portfolio together and I applied to art school. So I hadn't even heard of graphic design until I was in college. Wow. 
I feel like that's the case for a lot of designers that I've talked to on here. It's them not really knowing that it was an option that they could do until, you know, much later on in life. I think it's changing a little bit now with younger people. I think it's more kind of out there. Like it's, it's not uncommon for, you know, like a high school kid to know a little bit about Photoshop. Hopefully that opens the possibilities for, for more people to explore this as a way, as a means of expression. So you mentioned you didn't grow up in New York City. Who do you think you would have been if you stayed where you grew up? Man, I have no idea. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I think I would have found something that, you know, I, I don't know. I'm stumped by that question. There's, I have no idea. I really, really don't. But okay. I, what I can say is that whatever turns my life has taken, I'm grateful for it because I'm happy where I'm at. I have a lot to work towards, but I have a beautiful wife. I have loving children. I have friends and the support of people who I care about deeply. So if you change one thing, you change everything. So I don't yeah. know where, where I would be. I can't even guess. <laughs> Do your kids, they want to follow in your footsteps as a designer? My son is an incredible, incredible artist. He's, okay. you know, he's a student at School of Visual Arts where I went and also taught. He now studies illustration there. He's far more talented than I was at his age. So nice. as for him, yes, he's a creative. He wants to, he's dedicating himself to be a creative. That's the path he's on right now. My daughter is a high school student and she is, she's interested in more academic things. I think she's interested in the medical profession and medical field. So we'll see. She's young. I support both of them in whatever they want to do. I talk to her. I know who she is. She has a creative spirit, but I think maybe that's how she wants to apply her creativity. So, Yeah. When you look back at your career and your experiences and everything, what advice would you give to your younger self about this industry? I think my advice to my younger self, when I think back, is less about the industry. I think the industry itself, I think I would have taken a little bit more risk as it relates to business things. I found stability and I was, stability was very appealing to me. Stability is still appealing to me. Like I don't gamble with things that will affect those that I care about and around me. But for myself, I think, you know, there were times when I could have made better business moves, but I didn't because I was, there was a kind of an internal conflict between my artistic self and my business mind, which only came to be because my artistic abilities facilitated that. So I felt more indebted to my creative spirit than kind of building something bigger than myself. So what keeps you motivated and inspired with the work that you do? What keeps me motivated is simply that I know I haven't done my best work yet. I hope I always feel that way because it keeps me chasing something. So I'm just always trying to reach my potential. And I'm trying to do things and share things that primarily mean something to me, but also mean something to other people. I'm trying to put try and put some beauty in the world. Like that's the it just don't even feel right coming off of my tongue because it's cheesy, <laughs> but, it's, but it's honest. You know, yeah. I'm just trying to put out what I feel things. I see things in my head and I'm just trying to express those things because it feeds me. It makes me feel better. It gives me that's where I find fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to do? I know you mentioned you have some other interests. There's no one specific project, but I think now I'm more, you know, I'm I'm shifting to wanting to, as I said, just doing work that is not client related. It's not based on like, oh, these are the parameters or this is the guideline, not things that come from satisfying the needs 
of other people, but doing some things that just expressing myself. And maybe that's not exclusive. Maybe it's not either or. They don't have to be binary, but that is very important to me right now. And I think also that maybe that will attract opportunities for people to come to me and just be like, yo, like, we're a blank canvas. What do you want to do for us? Maybe that's where that road leads to. I don't know. And I want to advocate for design and designers on a larger scale and continue to give people a voice to to share their stories in a way that I've been doing. But and I also want to be supportive of things like what we're doing now. Like it's an extreme honor to me that you asked me that you shared your platform with me. So I think it's important that we continue doing that, giving voice to people who are out there doing something that that means a lot, that, that is meaningful to them. Now, this might be kind of rehashing some stuff, but where do you kind of see yourself in the next like five years or so? What, what sort of work would you like to be doing? The honest answer, I, I'm figuring that out right now. I think what I've, you know, what we just talked about are the seeds of it. Yeah. I don't know where that goes. I'm kind of, I'm in a transformative state right now. I feel like I'm like, I'm like in a cocoon right now. Like, I don't know what, when, what's going to emerge, but I'm developing into something else. I'm trying to just kind of really take stock of what's important. And I'm working on that answer. That's a very important question to me. I haven't completely answered that question for myself, but mm-hmm. it's kind of the beauty of the journey is, is finding it and being open to the possibilities and, and kind of not standing still while I figure it out. I'm still moving forward but I'm, I'm searching for that answer right now. What advice would you give to someone that is like listening to this and they want to follow in your footsteps and, and kind of achieve the success that you have? What, what advice would you give them? For someone who is looking to establish themselves as a creative, who's looking to be an entrepreneur on some level and who is interested in, in producing their best work. I just think it's important that you give your all every time out. I think it's important that you pay attention to what's going on around you, both the things that you like and the things that you don't like. Try and break things down. If there's something you see and you don't like it, if it's a design project, it's easy to be dismissive of it, but look at it and kind of like, what don't I like about it? How would I have approached this? What are, you know, or if I brought this to a meeting and it had to be approved by someone and they didn't like it, how would I advocate for this work and learn how to talk about it? I think those are all important things. A lot of times we're focused on the output and not the process, but it's, it's easy to sit there and be like, they should have did this or they should have did that. But we all face these obstacles. And I think it's important to figure out how to navigate them because the more you advance in your career, the more things outside of the artwork matter is how you speak to people, how you present, how you, if you're going to be a leader, how do you inspire confidence and faith in your team? How do you motivate people to be their, their best? You know, if, you, if you're going to be a design leader, you're, you're a teacher. You're a number of things. So design is all important. It's why we're here, but it's not the only thing that matters. And you have to be well-rounded and develop all of, all of the skills that are going to support you in a long-lasting career. Well, Julian, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? So right now, my website is slanginc.com, and I'm on Instagram, and Instagram at at slanginc. So yeah, you can follow me there. You can check me out. 
check out the site. And that's where I'm at. All right. Sounds good. Well, Julian Alexander, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really like a lot of what you had to say about just not only your process, but about how sort of staying hungry and creative has sort of driven you throughout your career. Um, I think sometimes, you know, with designers, particularly I think with black designers, just depending on the types of opportunities we get, we always are kind of in this grind mode all the time, which sometimes can not give a lot of leeway for being able to really build. We're just kind of just in this survival mode all the time. So, you know, kind of hearing from you how you've been able to sort of turn that around and, of course, work with that in your career, throughout your career, and building out your studio to do these projects has been really it's been inspiring to me. I hope it's been inspiring to the audience as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure, man. And keep doing what you're doing. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Julian Alexander and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Julian and his work through the links in the show notes at provisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. With a community of over 2 billion people, the design team at Facebook works on a diverse range of problems. Everything Facebook Designs is done at scale, so research, content strategy, data, and other factors are a huge part of how they work. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook Design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Now, if you've seen Glitch, you might think, oh, maybe this looks like a toy. Maybe this doesn't look like it's a serious thing. But let me tell you, it's not. It runs on the exact same infrastructure and engine that the best developers in the world use to run their apps. And it's all built around a friendly community of coders, designers, developers, artists, activists, educators, basically people just like you. Get started on making something awesome today at Glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music by Andre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Now, if you liked this episode, then please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show here in the U.S. and internationally. It helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you're listening to this episode and you want to hear next week's episode a little early, then you should become our patron over at Patreon. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, if you support our journalism, then go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. 
For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming articles, interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.